0: This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. We'll take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. It is our normal habit at Prince, if you're visiting today, to walk through books of the Bible. And we find ourselves this morning in Hebrews 6. You would, I would imagine, figure out pretty quickly that it is our habit to walk through books of the Bible. Because if you're in a church that preaches topically, they're never going to preach Hebrews 6. This is not one of those chapters you just feel compelled to jump into. But as we're walking through this book of the Bible... God is speaking through these warnings and this encouragement. I'm so thankful that in God's providence, he has his, this place and this moment. Our text this morning will be Hebrews 6, verses 9 through 12, and we'll get there in just a moment. I'm pretty confident that just in the providence of God, I would not be here today if it wasn't for the influence of an unknown uh, private Christian school teacher by the name of Don Hart. This is Barbie. You remember Coach Hart? He was in my life from the ninth grade till the 12th grade, and my first memory of him was not a positive one. I vividly remember this moment, and you will know why. I was walking to the hall. I didn't really know him that well. I was new to the school, and I didn't have him for class or for any athletics. And he told me to do something, and I smarted off to him, which is what I did in ninth grade. He grabbed me by the shirt, threw me against the wall, and in no uncertain terms made sure that I would never do that again. I don't think you can do that anymore in school, can you? I think you like, go to jail for that or something. But. Uh, the truth is, I, he knew I needed it, and I did need it. He gave me exactly what I needed and deserved. And I'll tell you something: I never said things like that to him again. I spoke very respectful to him, but I remember that he later came back and apologized. He felt like it was a little too harsh. In God's providence, I think it was probably exactly what I needed. But I think about how he acted that way uh, also on the field. I. Uh, played soccer for him for many years after that, and he did often come across as a, a very hard and demanding and driving presence, and you had a little bit of fear of him in some ways. But it was Coach Hart who was really the first person that ever made me believe that I could succeed in any way Academically. I was a terrible student, I hated school, uh, I didn't like to read. I remember, this is the honest truth, I remember in 12th grade, I was sitting on the couch reading a book, and I looked up, my mom was there, and she was crying. I said, why aren't you crying? She goes, I've never seen you read before. <laughs> I don't know how I got to 12th grade without reading, but I, I did, Somehow. But I remember I wasn't going to take this class that Coach Hart taught because it was a little more advanced, but he was teaching it, and I liked him, and so I thought I would take it, and he really just spoke so much affirmation to me and helped me to believe, and that that really did change the trajectory of my life, and then one year as I played soccer for him, at the end of the year in the awards banquet, he gave me an award, and he said, this is a new award, I've never given this before, but I just kind of came up with this, and I want to give it to someone, and it's, it's kind of a funny name, but he gave me the Hustle Award, which I now, years later, realize it's for that one player who doesn't know what he's doing, but he works really hard. That was me. That's the rest of my life right there. Just summarize it. No idea what he's doing, but tries to work hard. So, but I'll tell you something. It's, it's interesting that when I think back about that award, that really, that defined me in a bit. It made me realize that, that whether I feel equipped or not, that if I'll trust the Lord and and really give my greatest effort, that God was able to do some things. And I just think about the wisdom of both throwing me against a wall and speaking affirmation in my life. And the reality is we need that, don't we? Listen very carefully. Metaphorically speaking, we often need to be thrown against a wall. Metaphorically speaking, all right? I'm not encouraging throwing against a wall here. I want to be clear. But don't we need that? Don't we need someone sometimes to just look at us and say, you're being an idiot, You're not going to act like that. We're not going to talk like that. Come on, you can do better than that. Don't do that. Don't go there. We need these people in our lives, don't we? Speaking these kind of words of warning to us, wiser than we are seeing things we don't see. And then we need that same person to kind of put their arm around us and just give us a lot of affirmation and encouragement and love. And I think there's so much wisdom in what we see as we study through the book of Hebrews that both of these things are present There's so many warnings in the book of Hebrews, so many times in which it feels like we're being grabbed and saying, listen, do not drift away. Be afraid lest you have an unbelieving heart. Don't simply hear the word and fail to respond to it. We feel so many warnings. And then right after we get that warning, we feel the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrap his arms around us and say, I really love you. And I really believe God has good things in store for you. It's exactly what happens in Hebrews 6. I mean, we we just came out of the strongest warning in the entire New Testament. There There is no passage that feels any weightier than the one we looked at last week. And yet right after that, he follows that with a statement of incredible love, affection, affirmation, and exhortation. So I want to read, and I'm going to begin in Hebrews 5, verse 11, and I'm going to go through 6, 12. Even though our text is only 9 through 12, there's something significant that happens here. Uh, This is important when you're studying the Bible. There is a word in chapter 5, verse 11 that is then repeated in chapter 6, verse 12, and it really is those two words that hold this text together. It is in verse 11, do not be dull of hearing, which means lazy, apathetic, It's referring to those who come every week and hear sermons, but they don't do anything with it. And then it repeats that in verse 12 so that you may not be sluggish. Same word, they translate it differently, but same word, don't be lazy. And so listen to what it says here. If you're there in Hebrews 5, say amen. It says this. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For, and here's this strong warning, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, it is impossible if they have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Four, land that has drunk the rain, which this is a symbol of the word of God being preached, the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated they receive a blessing from God but if it bears thorns and thistles it is worthless and near to being cursed and in end it is to be burned so pause right there for a minute if you're confused about that listen to last week's sermon you may still be confused but you can still go listen to last week's sermon he's talking about a group of people who are church members they come to church they hear the word but it doesn't have any effect upon their lives they may amen they may nod And they may say they have faith, but we know they don't have faith because they don't walk by faith according to the word of God. And so they hear it, but they don't respond to it. And he's afraid that there might be some of those in the church. And he says, listen, it is possible for you to be a church member and hear a thousand sermons and die and go straight to hell. And it is possible for you to actually have your mind enlightened. You can hear and understand some of the things of God. It is possible for you to taste the heavenly gift and share in the Holy Spirit. And uh, to be around the things that God is doing. Maybe even participate in some of those things and still go to hell. If there has never been faith, if there has never been actual believing what God says is true and stepping out in it. Faith is not just intellectual assent. It is The life that we live, we walk by faith. The righteous live by faith. He's saying there may be some of you who are not doing this and you're being deceived. And then after giving that very hard warning, ending with this statement, that those who hear the word of God, the rain falls on them, but it doesn't produce fruit, they're cursed and burned. Then he says this, look at verse nine. Though we speak in this way, this hard way of warning, yet in your case, beloved, Now, in the wisdom and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he puts a word right here at the beginning of this passage that is never used any other place in Hebrews, the only time. And you might miss that if you hadn't seen the book as a whole, but it's the exact place you need to put this word. It's the word beloved. The timing is so significant because it changes the tone of the passage. So the tone up to now is strong warning. Be careful. Make sure you're walking by faith and living by faith, because if not, it's possible for you to be useless to the kingdom and burned. And then he says this, and I'm telling you this because I love you. I love you. I felt this so much last week as I was preaching. I was preaching this strong warning, and I I wanted to look at you and say, listen, I'm telling you this because I love you, and it is True, there is a possibility that you could be here every week and go to hell if you don't really trust what Jesus Christ has done for you and walk by faith in it. And I say that to you because I love you. Right here, we begin to feel the change of tone where there's this new affection to say, I want you to know, even though I'm warning you, I really, really love you. And this this comes out of a desire to make sure that you know the Lord. And even in this text, we feel that balance between calling them out and then calling them forward because look in verses nine and 10, he says this, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we're sure of better things. That's a statement of confidence. I'm confident that you're going to do better things. But then there's this calling into it. Verse 11, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope. So what he's doing is this, he's saying, I believe in incredible potential because of what God is doing in your life and because I understand the potential of God, yet that potential will not become a reality unless you are diligent in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know why it is that it seems like in every area of our life, we get this except our spiritual life. We get in every other area that potential means very little unless it's combined with diligence. Diligence. Somehow in our spiritual life, we just think that that potential is always gonna become a reality, even if we do nothing in our walk with the Lord. So he's balancing by saying this, I love you, and I really believe God is gonna do incredible things in your life. But listen, church, you must be diligent. That's what he's saying. Now, Every once in a while, as a pastor, you come through a text of scripture. Sometimes you come to one and say, I don't wanna preach that, I'd like to skip it, but they're gonna know if I skip it. Sometimes you come to one and you feel so deeply about it. You you really feel as if it is not just God's word from the author of Hebrews to these Jewish believers, but it's a word from me to you. And I want you to know, I feel this passage very deeply. Because what he's saying to them, I want to say to you, and I really believe this. I am confident of better things. So I am going to call you into better things. That's that's this passage. Confidence of better things and then a calling into better things. And I feel this deeply. So church, I am speaking this into you this morning. First, I am confident of better things. That's verses 9 and 10. He says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, and I want you to circle the word your, because it helps us to know that he's speaking to the church. He's a pastor. He's saying, church, church, As a whole, and sometimes I speak to the church, church, I believe God can do better things. I believe God has good things. And he says this, we feel sure of this. Now that is in the perfect tense. It means it's already a conviction. It's already a reality. He is persuaded. He is absolutely convinced that God is going to do better things with the church. Church, I am absolutely convinced It's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 1.6 when he says, I'm convinced of this. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's confident, convinced, better things from you. You are not gonna be those who hear and don't receive and fall away. I'm convinced of better things. You say, well, well, better than what? Well, better than all the things he just said. Better than those who were dull of hearing. Those who just listened to sermon after sermon and enjoyed the sermons, but it made no difference in their lives. They heard it. They walked out. They did nothing with it. Better than those who were around the things of God and were enlightened and tasted, but never really trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result, although they looked like believers, they weren't. So they fall away. And then in the end, they were burned. Better than that. Better than those who drifted away in chapter two. Better than those who had unbelief in chapter four. He just said, I, I'm believing that this is not going to be you. That you're going to hear these warnings, you're going to receive them. And I'm convinced of better things for you. We feel sure of better things. And then he says this, what kind of things? Things that belong to salvation. Now circle that as well. I'm going to tell you to circle everything, but circle that one. Things that belong to salvation. I want you to hear something here. There are things that belong to salvation, okay? There are things that belong to salvation, meaning there is some evidence in a believer's life that they know Jesus Christ. There's some things that belong to salvation, meaning if you have salvation, there's going to be some things that show evidence of that. Now this morning, it is beyond my ability to look into your heart and see if you know Jesus. I can't do that. And uh, Jesus is very clear that there will be some surprises at the end uh, of maybe those who have participated in things but didn't really know the Lord. And so I can't do that. Only God looks at your heart. But if I spent a day with you, I would be able to see if there's any things that belong to salvation. Like I said at the beginning of our study of Hebrews, I believe one of the greatest ways to tell if someone knows the Lord is you spend a day with them and see if they ever say something about Jesus. Like I don't want to know if they prayed a prayer at Camp 78 or VBS. Is there anything in their life that gives any evidence that they like Jesus? Because if you don't like Jesus, you're probably not a believer. Like why would you want to spend eternity with him if you don't even like him? There are some things that belong to salvation. So there is some evidence in our life. And some of those things are are here in this next phrase. It says there are these things that belong to salvation. It says the work and love that you've shown for his name and serving the saints. So you say, well, what is it that giving him this confidence? Why, Why does he feel so assured that these people are gonna do better things? Well, two reasons. Their faithfulness and God's justice. Their faithfulness and God's justice. So he's been watching them. He's been with them. And watching the way they live has given him confidence that there's a lot more potential and possibility there. For God is not unjust as to overlook, I'll come back to the first phrase, your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. So they have shown love to the Lord and they have shown love to other believers by serving the saints. Now, if you would, turn over about two pages to the end of Hebrews 10. I believe this is what he's referring to. Hebrews 10, 32 through 34. Hebrews 10, 32, it says this. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, after you heard the gospel, him not knowing, he doesn't know then if they're true believers, he know they heard the gospel, then they endured a hard struggle with suffering. And sometimes they were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, meaning people spoke negatively about them and even physically hurt them. And sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And listen to this phrase, listen to this phrase. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Meaning this, someone knocked on the door and said, are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? And they said, yes, I am. They said, well, get out. You're now a refugee. And everything was taken. And it says they joyfully accepted that. Why? Because they believed that Jesus was better than the house they left. And they believed that the house they were gonna get later was gonna be much better than the house they just left. So that's faith, right? So they heard the gospel. He doesn't know if they're believers or not. But then he saw the evidence that when suffering came and persecution came, it was evident they were that fourth soil who heard and didn't fall away because of suffering. And all of a sudden, because of what he's seeing, it's building confidence in his heart. I believe you know the Lord because I've seen the things you're doing. I've seen your work and I've seen your love. Matthew seven sixteen says that we know them by their fruits. And even though we can't see the heart, we should see something. So he's seen something. And it's encouraged him and it's given him this kind of confidence. But it's not just that. It's, it's, it's because he knows the heart of God. Look at what he says. Go back to Hebrews 6. He says, for God is not unjust. God is not going to overlook your faithfulness. He's not going to overlook the work and the love and the way in which you've served the saints. He's not going to overlook that because he is a just God, and he has seen these things that you have done, which means the ultimate confidence of assurance is in God's heart. One of the things that happens when you study the book of Hebrews is you can become maybe a little bit insecure about your relationship with Jesus. Now, part of that is intended because the book of Hebrews is, is calling you to examine yourself and see if there is any faith in your life. See if you're genuine. Genuine. But we're not supposed to be insecure as genuine followers of Jesus Christ. And so we have to be careful of that and guard ourselves against that. And so how do we protect against that? Well, we hold on to a promise like Hebrews eleven six, 6, which says this. It says, God is the rewarder of those who seek him. So listen to me, church. Listen carefully. If you're seeking the Lord, you love Jesus you're trusting Jesus, God never rejects anyone like that. You don't, you don't have to be insecure. If you're loving Jesus, you're walking with the Lord, you want Jesus, even in the midst of your sin, the good times, the bad, you, you want Jesus. He is the rewarder of those who seek him. So what he's saying is this, I've seen your work and I believe the authenticity of it. You have willingly suffered. And because of that, I believe your faith is genuine. And I know God and God does not withhold his blessing from those. He's not going to overlook your work of faith. He says he's not going to overlook your work and your love that you've shown in his name for the saints. Let me tell you something. I, I get this as a pastor. Like I get what's going on in his heart. I understand what it's like to see someone walking with the Lord and then to see the potential in them if they would continue to do that. I see that. Like I was sitting right over here. This is where I sit right with my wife and and kids. And and I was looking over here and I was seeing this this row of high school guys, almost every one of them I know and love. And I just, I've seen how they've moved closer to the front. You know, they're all scattered. They're up there and, and they're singing, they're worshiping. And I know some of the good things happen in their life. What happens in that is I see that. And then all of a sudden in my heart, I go, can you imagine what God could do? Because I've, I've seen some things. And as I'm seeing these things, I'm believing that there's more things possible, which is actually what's happening here. I've been thinking all week about our 100 Sunday. And some of you weren't here, but a few months ago, uh, the Lord had really blessed our church financially. And instead of taking all of that money and using it as a church, we decided we'd give it all back to you. So we gave out, I think, $57,000 in $100 bills on a Sunday. And we said, go bless people. Pray, look, and just bless people. And what happened was you blessed people that we didn't even know. It was unbelievable. So, what happens? Well, I see that, and then all of a sudden I begin to think, oh my word, if they can do that, imagine what else they could do. It's like, you just get kind of fired up, like, your confidence builds, and that's what's happening here. You're saying, I've seen your work. And because I've seen that, I really believe in better things. And I feel that for you, church. I feel that so deeply for you that we're just scratching the surface of what God can do. And I believe that because I've seen what you've done. And so that kind of work stirs up confidence, but then it stirs up this feeling of, yes, but but church, you've got to go get it. Like you've got to... Take hold of this and be diligent. And so that's where he transitions in verse 11. He says, I'm confident of better things. And then he says, and I'm calling you to better things. So church, let me say to you, I'm confident of better things. And now I'm calling you into those better things. So he says this, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and have full assurance of hope until the end. I'm going to give you some more words to circle, all right? Each one of you. You got it. If you didn't circle the other ones, circle these ones. Each one of you. This is a a huge, significant key for us to understand how God does greater things. Okay. So, the week after, a few weeks after 100 Sunday, after we started getting the reports and I heard all the things that you did, uh, I know I don't have to tell you this because you remember all of my sermons, but I preached a sermon on a Sunday morning in which I said, The Lord taught me one lesson, and it was this. The way in which we do greater things is through a lot of little things. That's the lesson God taught me. I believe it's critical for our church. So as a pastor, you always want to do great things for God. And then you realize you can't really do great things for God. You can just lead people to do a lot of little things for God. And when everybody does little things for God, the church ends up doing great things for God. Just because everyone was obedient. So this is what he's saying. I believe great things for you. And the church goes, yes, we want greater things. I mean, you don't because you don't amen very well, but most churches, yes, amen. We want greater things. God, let's do something great for God. And he says, okay, you want that? Here's the key. Each one of you show the same earnestness. That's it. And I love the way he does that. He puts this vision of confidence in our mind. And then he says, well, listen, here's the key. He says, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. What's the same earnestness or or diligence? It's the same earnestness of those in verse 10. Like verse 10, if you want to know what faith looks like, it looks like verse 10, your work and love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints. He says, "I I want you to do the same thing, each one of you. It's like he calls them by name and says, you, you, you. Listen, I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. Each one of you showing the same earnestness. So we're not needing any revolutionary new vision. What we need is for every individual person to wake up in the morning and walk with Jesus. Because I love the idea of same earnestness. Because what he's talking about is that work in verse 10. And it's not like any revolutionary thing. It's just... Man, loving people, loving God, walking with Jesus, that's all it it is. From time to time, God gives us some grand vision and he gives us some great assignments from him. But I would say most of the Christian life is defined in these two words, same earnestness. Just do the same thing, be diligent about loving God, loving people, walking with the Lord. And he says that when you do that, when, when that's the habit of your life, Man, all kinds of things begin to happen. He says, if you do that, look at what he says, then you will have the full assurance of hope until the end. That phrase right there is a result phrase. It's what happens. So if you're diligent and earnest walking with the Lord, you get the full assurance of hope until the end. Meaning as you walk with the Lord, you don't feel assured of your salvation because you've done a lot of great things, but because as you walk with the Lord, he fills you with hope. Listen, that's, that's just, as you walk with God, he fills you with faith and hope. And, and the more you walk with him, the more he fills you with that. See, faith is, is really just believing in the promises of God. It's confidence in the promises of God. Hope is then the optimistic confidence that comes out of faith. So faith says, I believe that God is gonna do what he says. Hope is Hebrews 10. Now I will joyfully receive the plundering of my property because I believe there's something better. Hope is saying this. I believe that Jesus is better than anything else and anything I give up for Jesus is worth it. Hope is I believe the best is yet to come. And I may suffer in this life, but there's something better in the next life. That's hope. And what happens is this, as you're diligent in walking with the Lord, God fills you with new hope, which means this, contrary to prosperity gospel. It's not that your life gets all better, it's that you get more hope. That's it. Like, that's what I want. I want more hope in my life. He says, well, that, that flows out of that. And then as a result, if you're diligent, verse 12, you're not sluggish, which was the warning in verse five. Don't be dull of hearing. Well, well how do I make sure that I'm not one of those in Hebrews six? Same earnestness. You just, you're walking with the Lord. You wake up in the morning, you walk with, with Jesus. And all of a sudden, a life of faithfulness comes. You know, th- this is kind of helpful Because sometimes, and I say this on Father's Day, sometimes maybe a guy will say, this is the kind of man I want to be and I want to be this kind of guy and I'm frustrated that I'm not there. But what you realize, the way you get to be that kind of man is being the right kind of man today. You don't just get to be that kind of man. This is Psalm 1. You, You walk with the Lord today. You make right decisions today. And someday you wake up and you realize you're a faithful man. It wasn't magic. You just walked with the Lord. So you may not be sluggish and look at that last phrase and we'll be done. But instead of that, be imitators of those who inherited the promises. There are those who were faithful and they got the promises. They got heaven. They got the fullness of the blessing. And the way they did it is two other words. I would suggest you circle them. Faith and patience. Faith and patience. So this is where kind of it all comes down. How is it that you make it to the end? How is it that you get the promises of God? How is it that you see God do what he wants to do in your life and in the church? So we have this desire for our lives or for the church. How is it? Well, I think these two words, faith and patience, it's same earnestness, it's the same thing. Meaning you just day by day, you hear the word of God, you walk in it. God tells you to do something, you do it. And sometimes you don't and then you repent and you go back and you just do it the next time. And patience, knowing this, then God God has got the long view, okay? We want to we be the man right now. We want to be the right lady right now. And God says, no, this is, this is faith and patience. I'm gonna make you into the right person. I'm gonna do something great among you as you just walk with me day by day. And be assured, I reward those who seek me. So I see I'm just, I'm not gonna overlook your work. You just keep doing what's right and trust me with the blessing. God did something just really encouraging in my heart before I moved here about three and a half years ago. I um, really felt like part of God's calling in my life to come here, and I'm not gonna tell this whole story, but just a little, was that there there was kind of a death inside of me in a positive way. I felt like there was in me, for a lot of years, a lot of maybe selfish ambition and the desire to be known or to accomplish something great for God. And, and I felt like the calling of God on my life to come here was this, Josh, I want you to love your church and to love your family and to give yourself fully to those two things. And if anybody calls, that's great. If not, that's fine. It doesn't matter if anybody else knows you except your church and your family. That's a really freeing place to be. Like, that's all, like, I just, man, I don't want to be a good dad and a, a good husband and a good, pat. like, this is enough. I don't even think else. Like, this is good. This is enough responsibility. And it was God just saying, Josh, you, you walk with me and I'll take care of the rest. And so God still gives vision and excitement and desire. And I'm thinking, but where it's flowing out of is not selfish ambition. It's flowing out of God day by day, just investing things in me for you and for my family. Andrew and I were, I'll, I'll close with this. Andrew and I were uh, pulling into the neighborhood Friday evening. Uh, we had just gotten done, her, done with dinner with her family and uh, we see a family working in the yard. They go to our church. We love them. And so we rolled down the window and talked for a minute and they just begin to express just a lot of, they're just hard things in their life, just, you know, normal things, life things. And um, the lady said this, she goes, you know, my husband and I just get up in the morning. We say, we just got to do what Pastor Josh says. We got one job. We just got to walk with Jesus today. That's it. We just got to walk with Jesus today. And I thought, oh my, somebody's listening. I didn't know anybody's listening. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't. She said, that's it. Just walk Just walk with Jesus today. I thought, that's it. Like, put that on my tombstone. Like, just walk with Jesus today. And you know what happens? If you do that and you do that and you do that and you do that and you do that, God does better things. Better things in your family, in your home, in the workplace, in the church. Just Walk with Jesus today and see what things God does for his glory. Let's do it, church, amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.